Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. I am so glad you're here. I am privileged and honored and excited to get to bring our message to us tonight, and I'm excited about what God has in store for you over the next few minutes and as God relentlessly pursues you for the rest of your life. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about my background so you know where I'm coming from. I don't know everybody in here. So my family tree is full of pastors. In fact, I was born while my dad was a seminary student, so kind of been a Christian longer than I can even imagine. Um, I was really good as a kid at sword drills. Does anybody know what a sword drill is? Yes, of course. I was the best. I knew all the books of the Bible. I could sing the songs of the books of the Bible. I, I, we were at church every time it was open. I had the whole Romans road marked out in my Bible that my grandparents got me for my baptism. And I earned every possible Awana award that you could even get. Like even the bonus ones. Like I was an A-plus superstar Christian. Except when real life happened, it kind of fell apart. It wasn't working for me anymore. Um, It felt like a one-dimensional intellectual brand of Christianity. And when real life happens, when cars break down, when relationships break down, when our bodies break down, when people die, when you lose a job, when you're faced with racism and sexism and classism and all the other isms everywhere there is, and you know that this world is broken, somehow thinking right things about God and knowing all these things about God and about the Bible didn't make those things better. And it didn't help me feel better about my situation either. So I've given that some thought. Is why, why, why did this intellectual version of Christianity not work for me? And I heard an expression over the last couple months that really stuck with me. And I was listening to a speaker, and she said, well, you know, we're not just a brain on a stick. And I kind of picture, I don't know why, I picture Forky? Sporky? Forky. What's the guy's name from a Toy Story? Sporky. He kind of looks like a giant brain just on a stick, right? And so that's the image I have. We're not like that. God made us as a whole person. He made us with a body and a spirit and a soul and a mind. And I was engaging God with one of those things. I was engaging God with my intellect and with my brain. And that's not bad. Please don't um, misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should just check our brains at the door and, and swallow whatever you hear on a Sunday morning or afternoon. Thinking right things is great, but it's not the only thing. I wasn't engaging with God with the rest of those parts of myself, with my body or soul or spirit. My life felt empty and my Christian walk felt one-dimensional. I wasn't satisfied anymore just knowing about God. I wanted to know God. There's a big difference there between knowing about God and knowing God. 
It's the difference between getting on like a YouTube video and watching the roller coaster at Disneyland as opposed to just going there and experiencing it for yourself. And I wanted to get that experience of God. So I don't know where you are in your approach to God and the Bible today. I don't know if, if any of that resonates with you. If it does, you are in exactly the right place. If it doesn't, you are in exactly the right place because this is the place that you are right now. There's a big you are here sign on the map of our day today. When we first kicked off our sermon series on the book of Mark, Pastor Brooks spent some time diving into what Jesus meant when he referred to the good news or the gospel. So I'm going to read a couple verses from the first part of Mark. So Mark 1, 14, 15 says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the gospel, the good news that Jesus preached is the kingdom of God has come near. That's great. What is the kingdom of God? I went back and listened to Pastor Brooks' sermon because I didn't want to misquote him at all. Um, God's rule, reign, and dominion are here. God is breaking into our world. He has a vision of what our world could be like when he created it, and he said it was good, 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 very good. It's not that way anymore. It's been broken and fractured. But the good news that Jesus brought is that the, that kingdom of God, God's original vision for what our world could be like, he's coming to make all things right again. So I do have a, a quote from that sermon. Pastor Brooks's um, summary of what the gospel is, that the gospel is the availability of the kingdom of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're new here, Pastor Brooks was our pastor until like a month ago. I'm, I'm speaking about him as if he died. He didn't die. He moved to Montana, so he may as well have. <laughs> Love you, Brooks. Okay. <laughs> but we have access to the kingdom of God. We have firsthand, immediate, personal access to the kingdom of God because of Jesus. Not because Jesus died. Also because of his life and his resurrection and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I want to go back to my comment about us not being a brain on a stick. The gospel that Jesus preached wasn't just believe this list of things and then you can go to heaven when you die. That's part of it. But it's more than that. It's more than just believing the right things. Having the solid theology is important, but there's more. Our purpose as Christians is not to be on the right side of a polarizing debate. We might think predestination or is there free will? Is it once saved, always saved? Or can I walk away from God? Do I believe in complementarianism or egalitarianism? Is it premillennial, postmillennial? I don't even know anymore. Is that why Jesus came? To give us the answer to all of life's questions? 
I don't think so. I believe that our purpose as Christians is to become like Christ, to do what he did, to love how he loved, to be transformed, to be filled with the fruit of the spirit, not so that I can recite the list from memory, to be so full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that we become a new creation. And as we press into the kingdom of God, we are formed more and more into the image and likeness of Christ through the filling of the Holy Spirit. So as we read the Bible, perhaps the point isn't to find knowledge to stuff in our brains. Perhaps the point is to encounter God and become a changed person. So tonight we're continuing in the book of Mark, picking up where Gianna left off last week. And as I read our passage from Mark tonight, we're going to engage in it in a little bit different way than we have in the past. Um, In keeping with us not being brains on sticks, I want us to experience the passage instead of just being filled with information about it. So we're going to use a version of Lectio Divina, which is Latin for divine reading which is a meditative approach to engaging with the Bible that has been around since the early church. I didn't just make it up. It's been around for, what, 1,800 years or more. The premise of Lectio Divina is that the Bible is not a text that we can just study at arm's length, but it's the word of God that we can invite to speak to us. There's a verse that I I was thinking about as I was thinking through how, how to present this tonight, and it's from Psalms 139 which is one of my favorite psalms, by the way. And uh, Psalm 139 says, where could I run from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in death, you're already there. I could fly away with wings made of dawn or make my home on the far side of the sea. But even there, your hand will guide me your mighty hand holding me fast. God is inescapable. There's nowhere we could go where God isn't. The Bible didn't drop down out of heaven and God said, good luck. He's right here, right now. He's living and active and he loves you more than you can imagine. And since that's the case, we can't read the Bible as if God isn't right here reading it with us. If you grew up in a church like I did, you probably heard that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and who can understand it. And when I heard that verse preached at me, it came along with a, we can't open up ourselves too much to God because there's this whole spirit thing going on and, Mm, bad things might happen to you. So it's probably safer just to engage with God with your brain. If that's where you are right now, I want to honor and acknowledge that what I'm going to ask you to do might be so far outside your comfort zone, you don't want to participate, and I am totally okay with that. Um, You may want to sit there as an observer and watch me. That's great. There will be no singing and dancing, much to Renee's chagrin. I'm sorry. 
I don't want you to do anything that you think that is uncomfortable. Um, so if what I'm going to ask you to do is awkward, I love you. And uh, you can come tell me afterwards that I've lost my marbles. So instead of dissecting today's passage, we're going to enter into it. I want you to find a, a comfortable spot to sit, whatever that looks like for you. And when we start reading, you can close your eyes, kick up your feet. We're, we're all friends here. So I'm going to read the passage aloud slowly, a total of three times. And after the first time, I'll pause. And I want you to think about what perspective of the story you were most drawn to. Maybe it's one of the main characters in the story. Maybe it's a peripheral character. Maybe somebody who you know was there, but they're not named in the story. Or maybe you are viewing the story like a, an impartial narrator, like you're outside the story. Maybe you're watching it unfold like a movie. So then I'll read the passage a second time. And then I'll pause so you can consider how that scene felt to you. What did you experience? Uh, what did you see, hear, smell, taste, feel as you are in that scene? We are an embodied people having an embodied experience. And God gave us our senses to use them. What was that experience like? So then I'll read the passage a third and final time and I'll pause a little bit longer after that one so you can sit with God and breathe and ask God, what, what in this passage is for me today? And then we'll listen for what God has to say. So shut your eyes if you feel comfortable and I'll read it aloud. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. So I'm not sure what you and God have been talking about. I'm convinced it's amazing. I'd love to hear about it sometime. With my remaining time, I wanted to share with you what came up for me as I read this passage um, in light of my real life experiences. So I was struck by the disciples' response to the storm and Jesus' calm and powerful response. Their very lives were threatened. It sounds like they let the storm rage on for quite some time before they woke Jesus up. And when they did, their patience was nearly gone. Their biting question to Jesus, don't you care about us? Certainly not full of any fruit of the Spirit. 
And yet Jesus calmly took care of their needs in a mighty way. And I found myself wishing that my suffering would vanish just as easy. And when I say suffering, maybe it's a health concern, financial struggles, relationship issues, a spiritual crisis. Why do problems come our way? And when we cry out, why don't they just vanish? The other day I was reminiscing about the good old days when we had church in the Prairie Mountain Gym. And we used to have people come up front to share a story about what God was doing in their lives. And there was one sharing time in particular that really struck me at the time. And I, it came back up for me when I was thinking about it. And the thing that made this story so different is that this person chose to share in the middle of their story, in the middle of their struggle, in the middle of their grief, in the middle of their wondering. When they got to the end of the story, they didn't wrap it up in a neat little bow. It was very unsettling for me when I heard that. And I was unsettled again thinking about it. In general, I don't think we do suffering very well. It makes us uncomfortable. We want to get through it just as quick as we can. Maybe we pretend we aren't suffering at all. Someone says, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. Terry will say to me, are you sad? No. When we watch other people suffering, it makes us uncomfortable too. So maybe we change the conversation topic really fast or maybe we just stop calling that person because we don't know what to say. Sometimes when other people are suffering, we might blurt out something that's unhelpful. And I, I, I want to preface this by saying that I, I am sure I have said some of these things. It doesn't come from a hurtful place. They come out of your mouth. I've heard unhelpful Christian cliches like, God won't give you anything you can't handle. Heaven needed another angel. Sometimes we blurt out an antidote that steers the conversation away from this person's pain. Like, oh, my aunt's daughter's nephew's cousin had cancer and they ordered tea online from Mexico and now they're all better. Good for them. It was eight years ago this weekend that I was in the oncology ward at Riverbend Hospital. I actually came up on my Facebook memories today. Happy cancerversary. I was young and healthy, except I had this pain in my shoulder and I had this weird shortness of breath. Like I'd get up after watching TV at night and walk down the hall to brush my teeth and I was like, you'd have thought I'd been running a marathon all day. I am not a marathon runner. I know that about myself. Apparently, walking down the hall was hard, too. That first stay in the hospital was a whirlwind of needles and imaging and blood work and visits from doctors that had terrible bedside manner. My whole family's world was turned upside down for six months because it's not just about the person who's suffering. It's about the people who live in close community with them as well. We celebrated Tyler's fifth birthday party in the hospital with balloons and voodoo donuts. And after the end of six months, my chemo ended, my hair grew back, I went back to work, I regained my strength. But 
it was a really interesting experience to be the one suffering, to be on the receiving end of things that were helpful and less helpful. Some people, a lot of people brought dinner for us. They cleaned my house. They picked up the kids and took them to the park. They did my grocery shopping for me. I had somebody who hired a landscaper and didn't tell us. I looked out the window, I'm like, either they're very lost or somebody realized my yard needs a lot of help. There was other people that offered help in a way that felt patronizing. They just did stuff for me instead of asking if I needed help. There were some people who ghosted me altogether because it was uncomfortable to make small talk and complain about their kid or their sniffle when I'm obviously suffering. I was on the receiving end of many acts of love and kindness and grace. And I've been thinking about why does suffering make me so uncomfortable? And how can I be a better sufferer? And how can I be a better companion for somebody who is suffering? As a community, we are the embodiment of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we get to use that time of suffering as a way to be the church for one another. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is from Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's just minding his own business, doing whatever it is he does when God's not messing with his life. And the hand of God spirits him out into the middle of a valley of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, Ezekiel, do you think these bones could live again? And by this point in the story, Ezekiel has seen some really crazy stuff go down. So he answers and says, God, only you know. So at God's command, Ezekiel prophesies over the dry bones. And the bones reassemble themselves. And God's breath reanimates them. I don't know very many Hebrew words. I do know the word ruach, which is the spirit of God that we sang about today. The breath of God. It, that word is in Genesis. It is the, the ruach, the spirit of God, the breath of God that moves over the face of the waters. The spirit of God, that breath of God breathed life into Adam. That same spirit is in our hearts and in ourselves today, right now. I like to sometimes pretend that just breathing in the Holy Spirit because he's all around me. So those dry bones sprung back to life. Imagine what it would have been like to be in that pile of dry bones. If you're laying there thinking about stuff, you're like, oh, I'm done for. God has no use for me anymore. What could God do with a pile of dry bones? Then along comes the Lord and the spirit blows into you. And suddenly you are part of a mighty army ready to make a difference. No matter what happens, no matter how hopeless it seems, we get to cling to God's promise of new life in the kingdom of God. We can't rush or ignore suffering. We get to have compassion. We get to suffer with people who are suffering. 
When people are suffering, there may be lots of theologically sound answers for their questions. They're not ready for those. They feel deeply dissatisfying if you're not ready for that answer. People who are suffering need comfort, hope, the passage of time, a favorite drink from Dutch Bros, a hug, someone to mow their lawn. But don't try to make it better. We can bring our respect and our presence. We can give space for wondering big wonders. And we can be still with our our friends, with our community. Uh, When Job's entire world was turned upside down, if you remember the story of Job, he's the richest man in all the land, and all of a sudden one day, all of his, his servants come running in, like, oh my goodness, all your camels are gone. Oh my goodness, all your sheep are gone. Oh my goodness, all the houses blew down. Oh my goodness, all your children are dead. That's suffering. And Job collapses into a pile and says, why was I even born, God? And his friends came over. And for a whole week, they just sat there with him. They got it right. And then they opened their mouths and it all went sideways. So (laughs) we need to be like Job's friends in the beginning of the story to be with somebody who is suffering. Our job isn't to fix it or give them the answers or make them smile, or distract them. Maybe, maybe they want to be distracted. That's great. I had a friend who was going through a hard time, and I said, how can I help? And she said, I need to laugh every day. Done. I sent her the most ridiculous memes every day. It was, it was a lot of fun, actually. Maybe the best we can do when someone is in a deep time of suffering, as somebody who is having compassion is suffering with that person, is to be connected with the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to help that person find their way into the arms of God. So I've been thinking a lot about suffering, if you couldn't tell. Um, My theory about suffering is that when it comes to suffering, there's three kinds of people. There's people who are in the middle of suffering right now. There's people who have gone through suffering And there's those of us who haven't yet been through suffering, but it's inevitable and you're blissfully unaware of it. If you're in that last camp, I would invite you to learn some helpful ways to have compassion, to be with people who are suffering. You might wanna keep a couple helpful phrases in your back pocket, like, how can I help? I'm sorry to hear that. Would you like to talk about it? I don't know the answer, but I'm here with you. Please don't be afraid of an awkward conversation or an awkward silence. It's their first time going through this suffering. It's your first time being with them. It can be awkward. And we'll be together in the awkward. If you are on the opposite side of suffering, I would invite you to reflect on your suffering through a lens of gratefulness and not resentfulness. How are you different? How can that be a good thing? How can you use your experience of suffering to help others? There is a balance between having joy in the spirit 
and suffering and engaging in lament. And if we push those things to the side, if we don't let ourselves honestly process things and lament and grieve, that joy is just like plastering a fake smile on your face and saying, I'm fine, but you're not. At one point, you won't stay stuck in that sadness and lament, in that pit of despair. You'll get to come out. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians when Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. Um, he says, Blessed be Abba God, the God of our Savior Jesus Christ, the source of all mercies and the God of all consoling, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comforting God has given us. And I don't want us to miss this promise. God is not the God of making the suffering vanish. God consoles us and he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others with that same comfort. That he walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't abandon us. Jesus was right there in the boat with his disciples in the midst of their story. If you are in the midst of your suffering right now, I want you to know that you are God's beloved. God has not forsaken you. I invite you to echo the cry of the psalmist that Jesus echoed when he was hanging on the cross and say, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay to cry out. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve the loss of your pre-suffering life and your innocence. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to wrestle. Many people have wrestled through deep suffering and they haven't come to satisfying answers. I've looked, I haven't found all the satisfying answers yet. People just get more questions. So you're not alone. And your understanding of suffering and of God will evolve over time. In the story today, Jesus heard the cry of the disciples and he told the storm, peace, be still. And maybe, maybe you're wondering why Jesus doesn't tell the storm of your life. Peace, be still. Suffering is a great time to engage with the mystery of God. And I don't mean mystery like God is hiding from us, like he's playing some kind of cosmic peekaboo game with us. But God is so much bigger than we can ever wrap our brains around. And if you think you have God all figured out and you have all the answers and he fits really neatly into your, your theological paradigm and everything is just lined up perfect, I'm wondering if you're serving just a little God of your own making and not the God of the universe. I think a sign of spiritual maturity might be acknowledging and embracing just how much we don't know about God. And at the end of the passage today, the disciples didn't feel like Jesus wrapped everything up in a neat little bow. It said that they were filled with great fear, questioning what they had just experienced. Their world was turned upside down. And maybe that's you. 
this might be a great time to think about your own theology of how you think about suffering or lament. Maybe this is a time to lay down the parts that are no longer serving you and move into a new relationship with God beyond being a brain on a stick. How do we reconcile God's goodness and righteousness in the face of sin and all the evil that's in the world? God is good all the time. There's sin, grief, and suffering all around us. I just get more questions. And that's okay. God's not afraid of any questions. We get to throw all of our questions at him and then just linger, just hang out with God in the mystery for a while. We want to get answers so we can hurry up with our healing and get on with our real life. But I don't think that's how God wants our lives to go. That God's path can be long and winding and somehow it takes all these detours that take us to places that we never would have put there ourselves, yet we still end up precisely where we were meant to. Regardless of which of those three buckets you fall into, or maybe you're a combination of some of them. Um, I, I cannot overstate the importance of prayer. Prayer doesn't have to include words. Prayer can include gr crying, groaning, screaming, silence. The point of prayer is to enter into the presence of the God who loves you whose love is beyond all understanding, and to hang out with him. We're not mastering some special words or some special techniques to manipulate God. We just get to align ourselves with God, bring him all of our stuff, and let him just wrap his arms around us. So as the band comes back up, I want to invite you into a time of prayer as a way of responding to what God is saying to you tonight. And maybe you want to be in God's presence to linger with some thoughts. Maybe God brought something to mind when we read today's passage from Mark. Maybe it's something totally unrelated to what we talked about today. As you pray, you might choose to stay right where you are. You might want to you know, use your body and kneel in the aisle, kneel up front where there's more space. If you want someone to pray with you, there are trusted members of our prayer team that will be over here by the prayer sign. And God knows what you're going through. God sees you. God knows you. God cares for you. God loves you. <laughs>